0: So Jesus, um, he keeps going deeper into this conversation with this woman, um, continues to talk with her, and, and it's a bit, I, I'd say, a bit like peeling back uh, kind of layers on an onion a bit, and he begins to peel back some of those layers, and peel back layers to get closer and closer to the heart of the matter um, of this woman, the heart of the need, the heart of the, the spiritual need that this woman has. And so he goes a little bit deeper to the thirst and the weariness in her life, and pulls back a curtain a little bit, and as we see this, we're reminded, too, that we all, um, apart from Jesus, uh, we're weary. Uh, we're weary in our sin and the brokenness of our own sin and the effect of other people's sin in our life, and there's a thirstiness, so we're all, we're all in this um, with this woman as we walk through. We're reminded that we all need Jesus like she does. In verse 16, we we see and read these words of Jesus. Jesus said to her, go, go call your husband and come here. So again, Jesus is um, pulling back a a layer here, and he's asked her about her husband. Go get your husband, come, I will share about this living water. Bring him as well. And Jesus knows um, what's going on in her life. He knows that this is going to pry a little bit into some things of her heart, and we see a kindness in this. Jesus doesn't, doesn't want to just merely put a band-aid um, on the cancer sore of this woman's life, but wants to do radical surgery, so he peels off a layer here, and we see that this is really a gracious statement of Jesus to to enter in and reveal some hidden things in her life. So verse 17, uh, we see the woman's response. The woman answers him, I have no husband. And she speaks honestly. She doesn't have a a husband, but she's also kind of just shutting the door. I'm like, I'm I'm not going to pull that curtain back. You're right, no husband. Um, But we all understand. that Sometimes we're asked questions, and we ask honestly, but in a way that kind of conceals as well. We've all done that. So this is how she responds. But Jesus is going to pull back a little bit more on that curtain. And Jesus says to her, you're right. Um, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have five husbands. And the one you have now, you now have, is, is not your husband. What you have said is true. So here we see Jesus kind of begin to just pull that fully back and In this, we might note, too, uh, we've seen in this passage already, as John writes about Jesus, we see his humanity, we see that Jesus, he's wearied in his journey, but we also see his divinity, uh, that he is omniscient. Uh, He knows what's going on in the heart and the life of this woman as he does in all of our lives. And you can just imagine the shock on that woman's face. Her jaw probably, like, dropped Uh, and she maybe stammered a little bit, Um, and and we could imagine that, too, if someone that we we never had met wanders in um, and begins conversing with us and and points out the sin of our heart that no one could know apart from just knowing our lives. It's kind of a little bit, I think I've mentioned before um, how, what what if Loveland decides that downtown they're going to put a jumbotron and um, on that gemotron they're going to peek into everyone's life. <laughs> All of the, your thoughts and your actions, um, we wouldn't really ex- be excited about that. And I'm sure the woman isn't like, wow, that's so exciting. Thanks for revealing that. Praise the yeah, praise the Lord. That was... No, no. The woman, though, says, as um, we see that... Uh, she begins to think, oh, maybe, maybe this man is a, a prophet. But as we, we see this and see this words that Jesus speaks about her and about her life and kind of what she's been um, maybe seeking to, to fulfill her life, we, we might think of the, the great uh, philosopher and country artist, Johnny Lee. She was looking for love in all the wrong places a little bit. And you might think, you know, like we said, she probably didn't say, amen, hi, that was neat. Jesus' statement um, for us even might seem like, that was a bit nosy. Um, that was a little bit rude. Um, isn't he kind of judging her? This is kind of a harsh statement. But Jesus desires gen- genuinely desires to do surgery on the sin of her heart and her soul. So these are loving, gracious things for him to pull back that curtain in her life. He doesn't want to leave her weary and thirsty. He wants her to know of this new life that he offers her. Her search of love and relationships has left her weary and thirsty and isolated in her life. But too, we're reminded that um, we can't judge her too harshly because we're reminded that we are like this woman in our own way in our own struggles, our own things that we've sought after, um, seeking for satisfaction and love and fulfillment, in all, all the wrong places, things that, that don't give us life. We've all run at, to places and and run uh, in the wrong direction and run to things that comfort us that, that don't. So we all get that. Uh, we've all been in one way or in another in the same situation as this Woman, and we too needed to have the curtain pulled back on the sin of our life so that uh, Jesus could do surgery in our life. Um, we need Jesus. Our need for Jesus is great. Our need for this living water that Jesus offers all of us is the same. But sometimes I know in, in our culture, um, kind of in, in our culture, current culture, our understanding of kindness, you might say, well, that wasn't really kind of him to, to reveal that. We might think it, uh, it's not right to even point out sin in one another's life. Because um, that's not kind, maybe in, the, maybe in the definition of the world. And, and maybe it isn't kind in that way, but there's genuine love. Sometimes kindness and genuine love are a little bit different. And he genuinely loves this woman and requires for us sometimes to say hard things that ultimately um, enable us to, to, to speak love to you. So the conversation continues, and we get to verse 19. We see Jesus' desire, it kind of shifts a bit, the conversation to worship, true worship from true changed worshipers. So the woman begins and kind of redirects, maybe deflects a little bit this conversation. The woman says, sir, I perceive that that you are a prophet. So she speaks to Jesus, and it does seem here her statement is to help kind of redirect and deflect kind of this conversation. This is going a little, I'm not really wanting to go there. Let's stir it this way. (laughs) I don't really want that curtain pulled back. Let's, um, let's not talk about these things. But nonetheless, um, she does see that Jesus is speaking truth um, and that he must be a prophet. There's this Jew that comes along in the middle of the day. She, he doesn't know me and he's saying these things. And at least her eyes are opening a little bit. And then verse 20, um, she begins to really kind of deflect of the conversation, redirect. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. So um, a great way to deflect a conversation is a good theological argument. So she's like, let's let's bring up, I know this is a point of disagreement between Jews and Samaritans. This'll get the prophet to talk about those things instead of my life. So she brings up this religious conflict between Jews and Samaritans. And Surely, surely a good, a good prophet will like a good theological argument. Uh-huh. So she deflects here. But I think we can note this woman, at the same time, she could have said, and I was thinking about this, she could have said in this conversation, I'm done. I'm getting my water, and I'm going home to my non-husband, thank you very much. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. You don't have right to speak into my life, and especially not into my bedroom. It's done. And she could have left, but she doesn't. She does deflect, but she still remains, and she allows the light of the world to shine into her darkness. Um, She doesn't run. I think we can note that here. So she asks again, Our fathers, they worship on this mountain, so they're near Mount Gerizim, so they could have seen, and she probably pointed this mountain over here, they worshipped here, but you say that it's in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. So what is this all about? What is this, this controversy? Well, the Samaritans had established Mount Gerizim as a place of worship. That was where they worshipped. If you remember from last week in um, Samaria, the Samaritans were people that were kind of a mixed people, um, where that northern kingdom that Assyrians had years ago, they'd come in, they'd destroyed it, and they'd taken people into exile, and they shipped other people from other nations that they had conquered and put them in Samaria. So it was a mixed people, and it became very syncretistic in their um, worship and their understanding. There's probably a mixture of, of pagan and some Jewish things going on, and it wasn't a pure people, and they set up established worship on Mount Gerizim. And they had actually built a temple up there. In 400 BC, a temple was built, but then the Jews destroyed that temple in 128 BC. So there'd been a lot of conflict even over this place of worship. But the Jews, they worship at the temple, they worship in Jerusalem, they worship on Mount Zion. So you could see the conflict of right worship. Where's the right place to worship? And a people that were divided had another thing to be even great, more greatly divided about. So she asks about this controversy. And Jesus, he doesn't miss a beat. He, he goes with it. He's like, I'm going to go with it. And I, we're going to keep going down this road, and we're going to teach you some things. So verse 21, Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus, again, doesn't miss a beat, and he begins to take this time of redirection, uh, to move from true living water to true worship of God, which are connected, because we need new life to be able to truly worship God and he says to her, woman, again, we talked about when we talked about the woman, or when Jesus turned the water into wine and spoke to his, his mom and, and spoke to Mary and called her woman, that it wasn't a derogatory thing. It was more like, ma'am, um, ma'am. So he continues, so he addresses her, not in a, a harsh way. And he essentially says, um, things are really about to change. <laughs> and this argument about right place of worship, it's really a mute point. So it will not be about worshiping here or worshiping in in Jerusalem, but a day is drawing near when you won't have to travel to worship. And maybe Jesus is alluding to pretty soon Jerusalem um, would be destroyed and the temple itself was going to be destroyed. But we know, too, uh, that even looking back, thinking of the conversation of Jesus with Nicodemus, that, that there's a call to be born again uh, a new life and be filled with the Spirit. Things are being made new, and there's new worship here. And he continues and says, you worship what you do not know, and we worship what we knew, We what we know for salvation is from the Jews. So he says, you, you guys, the Samaritans, you worship what you don't know. And the Samaritans, they accepted the first five books of the Bible, of the, of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and They did add and change things a little bit, from my understanding, in their Bible. Uh, So they rejected, though, the majority of Scripture of the Old Testament that revealed much about God, much about His character, much about His commands, much about even instruction of worship. So there was much that they did not understand, and even their worship was a syncretistic worship, a mixture of things. So it wasn't a pure, right worship with pure, right knowledge and truth about who God is, as He reveals in His Word. And then he says, well, we, but we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. So the Jewish people were God's chosen people. And they were a people to reflect the one true God to all nations. And they were given the words of God and promise, promises um, in the word. So they held these things and they were promised to that through them, that all the families of the earth would, would be blessed through him. So the long awaited Messiah, the Christ would come through the Jews. So he's pointing to all of these things. And then he continues and he says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So things are changing. A time has arrived with the arrival of Jesus when worship is not going to be about a certain location, but about worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. Location isn't... The main thing, but true worship is the main thing. So, what does Jesus what does Jesus mean? Maybe you're asking, what is, what is he saying? What is he saying about this true worshiping as spirit and truth? What's going on here with spirit and truth? And spirit and truth here they're connected first by that same by one preposition in spirit and truth. Um, and I think most uh, modern translations will translate spirit with a, a lowercase s. Um, not an uppercase S. And most think that, again, Jesus is speaking about, about with full spirit of our spirit, not um, Holy Spirit here. It's filling the idea that we worship God in a genuine worship in the depth of our spirit from a genuineness of heart. There's no, no outward. It's not an outward kind of superficial worship, but a, general, gen, uh, a, a genuine worship in spirit, from the depths of our being. There's no no going through the motions type of worship that he's speaking of. And I think of the words of Jesus um, in Matthew. Think of Jesus as he's speaking with the religious leaders. He quotes from Isaiah in Matthew 15, 7 through 9, and he says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. So he speaks um, of people who just honor me with, my, with lips, but their hearts are far from me. Speaking of a worship now where our hearts will be fully engaged in worshiping our God. I think also during our time of Advent, we studied some of the words in the song of Mary. In Luke 1, 4 through 6, and Mary, as she sings, she says and speaks, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Speaks about just that fullness of soul and spirit rejoicing in God. She was a demonstration, I think, of this worship being fully in spirit. And it goes back to you about this idea of living water and receiving living water from Jesus. When we turn, we trust in him. We're given a new life in him. We're changed from the inside out by the work of the Holy Spirit welling up into eternal life. And we're changed from the inside out. When he talked with Nicodemus, he talked about with Nicodemus, you'll be born again. You'll have new life in him. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit. We're changed inside out that we can genuinely worship our God from the depths of our spirit And then what about worship in truth? What is he speaking about this worship in truth? Well, we can worship God in genuine faith, but according to God's revealed word, we need to worship in truth about who God said he is and how we are called to worship. We are to worship him as God is revealed to us, both in creation, in his word, and through the living word, Jesus Christ. We worship him and when we worship, then it's not our goal mostly to have emotional experience. That's not what worship is mostly about. If we worship God, we're called to be guided. If we do, our worship becomes really, if it's about experience, we become guided for a desire to experience more than we are guided to worship the one true God and worship him in truth according to his word. And that can happen. And we see that in scripture, even examples of that. I think of one um, as I was studying, I came across this note by R.C. Sproul, and he says this of this passage, and I thought it was helpful. So read it to us this morning. The one worship service in the history of the world that was completely designed to minister to the felt needs of the people. so you can think of What was the one worship service totally about felt needs was the worship of the golden calf at the base of Mount Sinai. If you remember that story in Exodus 32. It was not an exercise in true worship, but in idolatry. And we have to keep a close watch on what we do in worship, asking ourselves, is it according to the truth, the truth of God? Is this God's teaching in his word? Our worship must be based on God's self-revelation in scripture. He is truth and his word is truth. So we're called to worship our God in spirit and truth. And then verse 24 Jesus continues and says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Again, a repetition of this call to worship God in spirit and in truth, and he adds that God is spirit. We're reminded that God is not bound by body, and therefore also not bound by location either. He's not limited to his presence in the temple or on a mountain. He can be where His worshipers are where they're gathered in spirit and truth. So we think of those things. And we think, too, uh, as we are born again, as we've trusted in Jesus, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're given new life in Him. And as we gather together, we gather as a people filled with the Spirit of God. And it makes it possible for us to worship in every, every town, in every home, in every country. And we gather as a church as the temple of God as we gather, as he is in our midst. I think of 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, and there's other places um, that we can see where it speaks about the church being the temple of God, and when we study through Ephesians in chapter 2, that was one place, but let me just read this one verse. Again, this is a verse, sometimes we think of it as it's speaking about our individual bodies, but in context, he's speaking about the, the gathered church being the temple of God, the people of God, and he says in First Corinthians three, sixteen through seventeen. Do you not know that you are God's temple and this and that the Spirit God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are the temple, and you are that temple. So we're reminded that even as we gather this morning, as a gathered church, uh, our God is in our midst, and we can worship him in spirit and in truth. As I was thinking about this um, this passage and also speaking about worship today, I thought I'd just take a short minute um, just to remind us of what is worship? What does it mean to worship our God? And we have uh, talked about that from time to time. And one of the passages, even that we've looked at before, is Romans chapter 11, verse 36, and then the, the first verse of chapter Romans 12, 12 1 and how it speaks about worship and we've talked about it in context is one of the things that we want to do as a church is worship God passionately and that's on our core commitment um, diagram thingy over here that top one reminds us that we want to worship God passionately and and last week we talked about the idea of, of going and showing and telling the gospel boldly and that's our bottom one there and Um, When Frank was here, he talked about us connecting with one another authentically, and that's the puzzle piece. So we're kind of hitting all those as we go through at the beginning of this year. But we want to worship God passionately, and in that passage in Romans, um, there's three words that are helpful for us to understand worship, and one of them is glory, and then one of them is offer, and then another one is sacrifice. Let me just read those verses and just take a couple minutes to review this. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things, speaking of Christ, to him be glory forever, amen. So to him be glory, that word of glory, pointing to giving our God glory, amen. And then it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present yourselves, present your bodies or offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So glory, glory helps us to know that we are called to give glory to God. And it means that we desire the whole of who we are and what we do in our lives to bring glory to God, to point other people to Jesus as well, to point other people to the one true God, that they might join us in giving Him glory. We love and treasure, it's called to love and treasure our God most. And we worship when we give him glory and we love and treasure him most. And then, then this word to offer, to offer or dedicate or yield. We're called to yield, to yield our lives. It means yielding intentionally and publicly yielding and declaring that we are his. It's a bit like offering ourselves as a blank check to God, saying I'm yours. I offer you holy, holy. And it it doesn't necessarily mean that we go overseas. It might mean we go overseas. It doesn't mean that we necessarily go into full-time ministry. It might mean that. It doesn't mean we do something really big, one of those big things where you get a a free T-shirt type of things. Now, those things are great. And I think when we go on that Utah trip, I think they give us a free T-shirt. I mean, we pay for it, but, you know. But... Offering ourselves to God also means doing those overlooked, faithful things that we do for a lifetime uh, that no one sees. That steady faithfulness to the things that God has called us to in each of our individual lives. And we offer ourselves fully to those things. And then also, sacrifice. We worship through sacrifice. It means a surrender. Again, surrendering it all to Him. And It's willingly giving it in a costly way to our God um, for his purposes, submitting our wants and our preferences, oh, submit our preferences and our comforts um, for what he calls us to. And it's not out of so much duty, but out of a joy. Uh, We want to passionately worship our God out of joy for what he has done as he stirred up, he's given us new life that we were once a thirsty people, a weary people, and he poured out his Spirit upon us, giving us new life in him, and we want to give him glory, and we want to offer ourselves, and we want to be a living sacrifice and worship him in spirit and in truth. And then finally, the last couple verses, we'll close with these. Jesus reveals himself um, to thirsty and weary sinners. Uh, There's such kindness, there's true kindness, true love, that we see in Jesus in this conversation. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus, he speaks like no one else speaks. Uh, he speaks with an authority that no one else speaks with. And of course, we can't know the heart and the mind of this woman as she says these things, but it appears that she's beginning to wonder exactly who is Jesus and wondering if, are you possibly the Messiah? I mean, We don't know if that's what's going on, but... As I read it, it seems like maybe that's what's happening here. And she makes a statement, a true statement about the Messiah, the Messiah, the Christ will come when he comes. He's going he's gonna to tell us all things. He'll resolve this issue for sure. I know this. And maybe in a veiled way, she's saying, um, you seem to be doing this right now. Are you the Messiah. And then Jesus says to her, essentially says, I am he, I am. I am the Messiah. And here he reveals to the Samaritan woman at the well, the heat of the day, an outcast of society. He's, he's pulled out that veil and he reveals himself to her that he is the Messiah. And he hasn't done this to the Jewish crowds, has he yet? No. And here he does, reveals this to the woman. And it changes everything. Next week we'll talk about that. But one thing we see in just a couple of verses that the woman, she leaves an empty jar behind. And she runs home to tell everyone, I think maybe this guy's the Messiah. He knows everything about me. And We're reminded um, that we are like this woman. Um, We all need Jesus. We all at one time um, have been those, as we talked about last week, kind of we stiff-armed God and the true life that he offers for us. If you remember, I gave the kids an illustration of the... Maybe with a day that she, they were the, the most thirsty that they've ever been. Um, and I said, if, what if I gave you a, a water hose with living waters? So all sanitized, purified water coming out of the hose. Don't worry. Or a trowel that you could dig that hole. And I gave you some saran wrap and you can put it in that hole. And when it rains, you can kind of lick up. In Colorado, rain, lick up. <laughs> whatever water you get. Which one would you want? We want the, the hose. And, and we looked at that story in, in Jeremiah where God gave that same illustration for his people. In Jeremiah 12, verse 13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And we see this picture um, that for a long time this woman probably had been just drinking from cisterns. And here Jesus saying, living water. And he says that to all of us. And Maybe we sometimes we go back to those broken cisterns too, and we're reminded this morning that Jesus says, "Come to me." We're reminded that we're all um, in the same boat as this woman as well. We're all we all need Jesus. Um, I'd read earlier a quote from R.C. Sproul, and a, a few lines later, he said this. He's, he quotes someone else, kind sort of an old saying. He said, "I'm just one beggar telling other beggars where they can find bread." <laughs> And he said, that's really all I am, and that's all any of us are. And I say that to you this morning. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where they can find bread, and it's found in Jesus. Let's pray.